Let's keep going with Elijah, and today's the last time that we're going to be looking at Elijah as we talk about Elijah being taken away from 2 Kings chapter 2. You can turn there so long. It's been a really long week for me. Sometimes sermons just flow, and it's just wonderful. They just come together, and everything's so excited, exciting, and sometimes it's just like a slog. And this week has been a long, stumbling, crawling slog. And it hasn't got any better. So I invite you just to crawl through the passage with me this morning and let's rely upon the Holy Spirit to show us some things. Anyway, both Elijah and Elisha have been serving together uh, as we come into our story here as prophets of God for some time. Some people say up to 14 years that Elisha had been walking with Elijah. Remember, Elijah had appointed Elisha as his appy. By, at the Lord's command some years before. We can just imagine that this younger prophet spent these years serving like an apprenticeship with his master. But now things are about to change. Elijah, the senior partner, knows that his time of departure is at hand, and that's where we pick up the story in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven, in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now Bethel, you remember, is probably most famously known for the place where Jacob, when he was running away from Esau, lay down and slept and had that dream with the angels ascending and descending. So it was named Bethel, house of God. Verse 3, the, the company of the prophets, now your translation might say the sons of the prophets, but the idea here is that there is a group of prophets uh, that would gather together, obviously for study and for worship and for encouragement and possibly even live together uh, during those times. So the company of prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Now, these were real prophets. They knew what was going to happen. They knew it was Elijah's last day on the earth. Unlike modern day prophets that get mostly 100% prophecies incorrect. Amen? <laughs> it was just follow some of the stuff that's out there. Do you know that your master is going to, is, the Lord is going to take your master away from you? Take away or take. This take away term is exactly the same term that's found in Genesis 5.24 where it's spoken of Enoch. Enoch walked with God and then he was no more because God took him away. So just keep that in your, in your heads. Take away, Enoch was taken away and Elijah would be taken away. Verse 3. Yes, I know, Elijah, Elisha replied. So Elisha knew about it too. But do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. <clears throat> and he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. Now there aren't any fast trains or airplanes or taxis or anything else around. They are on foot. And they are walking. Verse 5, the company of prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, 
Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Yes, I know, he replied. But don't speak of it. Obviously, it's Aina. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Over and over again, Elijah telling Elisha, stay here. And over and over again, Elisha simply refusing. Surely as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. It's made me think of another story. It's a story that happened in the garden of Gethsemane, but it didn't have the same kind of outcome. Matthew 26, Jesus goes with his disciples to Gethsemane and he says, sit here while I go over there and pray. What did they do? They just sat there. <laughs> he takes with them, he takes with him Peter and the sons of uh, Zebedee, James and John. So Jesus, Peter, James and John go on a little bit further. And Jesus says to them, you know, watch and pray with me. And then we have that whole, not my will, but your will be done as he relinquishes his right to everything before the father. And he comes and he sees his Peter, James and John, his close, close companions. They've fallen asleep. And he says, couldn't you even keep watch with me for one hour? <laughs> Different to what we see here with Elijah and Elisha. Three times Elijah tells him, stay here. Elisha says, no ways, I'm going with you. Anyway, 50 men, verse 7, of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped. They'd come up now to the Jordan River. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Sounds a bit like Moses, eh? When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken from you. Elisha doesn't seem to hesitate. He says, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked for a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. As they were walking along and talking together, Suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes. And he tore them apart. Obviously a sign of mourning. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the banks of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right, to the left, crossed over. Verse 15, the company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Look, they said, we, your servants, have 50 able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has picked him up 
and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. No, replied Elisha, do not send them. But they persisted until he was too ashamed to refuse. So he said, send them, buckling to peer pressure. And he sent, they sent 50 men who searched for three days, but did not find him. When they returned to Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, didn't I tell you not to go? <laughs> I mean, that's a bit weak, isn't it? He could have told them then not to go, but he's just rubbing it in. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, I do long that the power of your spirit would do miracles great and exceeding in our hearts so we would understand what you would say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As they were walking and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and a chariot of horses appears and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Now, those of you who have grown up in church, you will remember the pictures that you had seen in, in your mind of Elijah on the chariot ablaze with fire and the horses ablaze with fire and scooting up to heaven. The scripture doesn't actually say that, and I don't want to introduce doubt in your, in your minds this morning, but it doesn't ever say that Elijah rode to heaven in that chariot. But it does on two occasions, verse 1 and verse 11, say that Elijah, in verse 1 says, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, and in verse 11 says, Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. So what was the chariot of fire and the chariot of horses doing there? Well, the Bible tells us the chariot of fire and the chariot of horses separated the two of them. And Elijah went up in a whirlwind. I'm not saying that it didn't happen that he was in that chariot, but the scripture doesn't say it. It says that this amazing scene was there. They were walking together and suddenly separating them came through this chariot of fire, this chariot of horses, and then there goes Elisha up in this whirlwind. Perhaps a very important lesson for us to stay focused. You see, Elijah had told Elisha, if you see me when I go, you will get what you've asked for, that double portion. If I was Elisha, I would have been so enthralled by that chariot of fire and that those flaming horses that I would have completely forgotten about the oak who was walking next to me. I would have been watching the chariot of fire and the chariot and the horses of fire and missed my double portion of that anointing that was busy ascending into heaven in a whirlwind. Anyway, just beware of the distractions. I think it's a lesson for us to keep our eyes on Jesus. Spend, when I ever have time, I, I spend time looking at and watching uh, stuff in Christian Christianity just to see where we're at and how badly we're doing and how well we're doing and, and all those kinds of things. And then you find these these stories of mega churches who have these incredible demonstrations of the glory of God, where in times of intense worship, 
there's gold dust that's flittering down on the congregants. And then you find out that somebody was busy pouring gold glitter, gold glitter into the air vents of the church. <laughs> you know, where, where the whole focus is on, it's like a rock star status. Some of these mega churches, and I'm not condemning mega churches, but it's like a, it's like a, a rock concert, a rock star status of those who are on stage. It's just like chariots of fire and chariots of horses. But their eyes are not on Jesus. Their focus is not where it should be. Just think about it tonight when you're lying in bed. Anyway, elsewhere in the scripture, we do see chariots and horses and whirlwinds used as symbols of the power and magnificence and glory with which God defeats his opponents and his children helps his children. For example, Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 8 says, did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses, your victorious chariots? Nahum 1.3, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm and the clouds of the dust of his feet. This passage in Job where he tells Job, hey, you're going to answer me now. I love it. You know, brace yourself. I'm going to ask you some questions. The Lord answers Job out of the whirlwind. Last week we heard about Elisha, Elijah hearing the still small voice of God. But here the Lord Yahweh answers Job out of the whirlwind. Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself and I will question you and you will answer me. Isaiah 66, talking about the second coming. See, I, the Lord, see, the Lord is coming with fire. His chariots are like a whirlwind. He will bring down his anger with fury, his rebuke with flames of fire. For with a fire and his sword, the Lord will execute judgment on all men and many will be slain by the Lord. Definitely a glimpse there of the second coming. Anyway, so here we see Elijah. We know Elijah's story. Ministers in power, ends up in the depths of discouragement, gets reinstated to his ministry and all the rest of it. Uh, but God didn't allow this prophet of his to end his life in defeat. He ends his life in, in an incredible account. Walking along, here comes this chariot of fire and this cha these fiery horses and Vupi gets taken up in a whirlwind. God honoring him in a sense. And just like Moses, who wasn't sickly when he died, Elijah was not sickly. They had been walking for a long time, up to 50 or more miles in the day. I mean, that's a long walk, if even possible. So here's a, here's a guy who's, who's not sickly, he's not weak, he's not finished. It's just his time. Just like Moses, the Bible says his eyes were not weak, nor had his strength left him. Another important lesson, perhaps, Elijah's time was done, and it was time for him to go. As I continue to crawl through the passage, where did Elijah go? Well, the passage tells us he was taken to heaven. That word, Hebrew word there is the word shamayim, which could mean heaven where the birds fly, you know, that which you can see. It can mean heaven where the stars and moon and all the planets and everything else, the heaven out there. 
Or it can mean heaven as in God's home, the very heaven, heaven where God dwells. Now, Elijah couldn't have been taken to heaven, heaven to where God dwells because I'll show you now, that's, that's just not possible. And we've got the same problem with Enoch, who the Bible mentioned walked with God and was no more. What happened to Enoch? Elijah and Enoch, God had taken them away and he must have taken them somewhere. Where have they gone to? Uh, because this, this doesn't make sense in what we know to be true according to the Bible. Hebrews 11.5 says, By faith Enoch was taken up so he would not see death. And nor did Elijah see death, but they could not have entered into the presence of God in their bodily form. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 13, no one has gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of God, the Son of Man, I beg your pardon. So they were not in heaven. It was not possible for them to have been taken to heaven, heaven, the place where God dwells. John 14, 6, Jesus said, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So Jesus was not the crucified, resurrected Christ when Elijah and when Enoch had been taken. So it was impossible. And the other thought that struck me was that if there was a way that God could have reconciled us to himself without the, without the cross, he would have done it. So if Enoch and Elijah were reconciled somehow to God and were in heaven and heaven without the cross, he would have done that for all of us. <laughs> I mean, imagine the cross for nothing. So we've just got to conclude that while these men were permitted by God to avoid death, he wouldn't have brought them into his presence in bodily form. And based on other scriptures, we've got to try and understand where they've gone to. Maybe their souls were transferred to Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side, as we read about in Luke, Luke 16, the passage of Lazarus and the rich man, waiting the arrival of the Messiah, just like all saints who died before. Okay, you can understand now why I'm crawling through this passage. There's just so much going on. And what lessons do we learn from the story? There's so much about leadership. There's so much about loyalty. So much about service and about passing the baton on time. Perhaps lots about the unseen glory of God and the chariots and the horses and a whole lot more. But for me, I want to focus on just one aspect. And I'm hoping that you're not going to think it's a big leap from the story of Elijah to where I am. I want to focus on the glory of the second coming. For me, the translation or the taking away of Elijah is perhaps a foretaste, just a foretaste of what is to come. You see, it's going to be repeated in a much greater way at the second coming of Christ. Elijah was a type of the living saints in the end time who will be translated or taken away or raptured without seeing death. And obviously we'll be equipped with new bodies because flesh cannot inherit, the immortal cannot inherit immortality. So obviously on the way we're going to be given a new set of feet or something, I don't know. 
So that's what I've seen, and that's what I want to share with you just for the last 15 minutes or so. Uh, the second coming, the glory of the second coming of the Lord. Well, does the Bible teach a second coming? And unequivocally and absolutely the answer is yes. Jesus is coming again. Do you know that references to Christ's second coming outnumber his first coming by eight to one? So for every one reference in the Bible that you find about his first coming, you're going to find eight regarding his second coming. Did he come the first time? <laughs> There's eight times more chance of him coming the second time. Clever people have counted 1,845 references in the Bible to the second coming of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament has 17 books in it with references to the second coming. The New Testament has 23 out of the 27 books referencing the second coming of Jesus Christ. Do you know that seven out of every 10 chapters in the New Testament have a reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ? One out of every 30 verses in the New Testament, you will find a reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Even Enoch, the one who walked with God and was no more because God took him away, even he predicts the second coming. We read that in Jude, Jude 14. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands. Talking about people who are doing naughty things in the church. Jude is writing to Christians in general. Jude is writing to church people. You must read the first bit of Jude. If we had time, I'd read the whole book. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and for all the, all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He's talking to the church or people who are in the church, not the church. Talking to people who would claim to be born again or claim to be affiliated to church. Verse 16, these men are grumblers. How many of you have grumbled about ESCOM in this week? Put up your hands with me or you're going to... <laughs> these men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. Just watch some megachurch stuff and you will see these, these words written out, enacted out. As people strut up and down and call the attention of their, their millions of admiring, um, admirers to themselves. Did I tell you the story about Stephen Furtick? Stephen Furtick is with Elevation Church, one of the biggest churches in America right now. He's got a Millions of followers on Facebook and all sorts of stuff. I saw a clip of him the other day pounding his chest, chest shouting, I am God Almighty. See it. It's not doctored. That's how low people have sunk to the applause of the adoring crowds. Beware. 
We see something of the glory of the second coming, also the transfiguration, Luke chapter 9. Ah, running out of time. But anyway, Jesus says, who do you say I am? Verse 20, Peter answers, the Christ of God. Jesus warned them not to tell. And then he tells them how he's going to get killed and be raised to life. Then he says, if you want to come after me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, da, 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 da. And then in verse 28, about eight days after Jesus said this, so the whole revelation again of who he is, the Christ and how he's going to die and suffer and be raised again. He took Peter, John, and James with him. Same three went onto the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. His clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, that's our Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus, spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they came fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Didn't know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves, and no one at that time uh, told no one what they had seen. Peter, John, and James were given a preview, just a taste of the glory of the second coming of Christ in his power and glory. For me, Elijah appears as a representative of the believers who will be taken away while they're still alive. Like I believe we will be taken away while we're still alive. Moses being representative of those who will be resurrected from their graves to accompany uh, Christ in heaven, and obviously they rise first. The second coming will happen, and friends, it's going to be a glorious and mind-blowing event. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, and say, uh, 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 that's me, yes, Lord. Imagine being so confident that you're not going to die, that when that trumpet goes, there I go. Hallelujah. Verse 16, uh, it says, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So those that we know who have fallen asleep in Christ will be there. When we get there, they're already there with their new bodies. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. When you die, you go to be with Jesus straight away. But you only get given your new body at this moment. After that, we are still alive and are left. We'll be caught together with them in the air, taken away. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. The second coming is going to happen. Let's look at some verses. There are so many in the New Testament and the Old Testament. 1845 references in the Bible. Hebrews 9.28, so Christ having been offered to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Are you eagerly waiting for him? Is this a day-by-day occurrence that I'm eagerly awaiting the coming of my Savior? Behold, he is coming with the clouds. 
and every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. <laughs> even so. Amen. Second Peter 3.10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now, if you know the thief's coming, you stand up with your 3.8 or shotgun. Or If you know, if you know a thief's going to come in, you're going to be ready for the thief. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Matthew 24, but concerning that day and hour, nobody knows, not even the angel of heaven nor the son, but the father only, and Jesus talking in his humanity then. Matthew 24, 44, therefore you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect, like that thief. John 14, 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be myself with me, so I, you will be where I am also. Acts 1.10, and while they were there gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him going into heaven on the clouds. <laughs> and don't worry about cloudless day. We saw how quickly it rained when Elijah's hand. <laughs> Don't let a cloudless day think you can behave like the devil because Jesus isn't coming today. Luke 21, watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life and that day will come upon you suddenly like a trap for it will come upon all who dwell upon the face of the whole earth. Stay awake at all times praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Stay awake at all times doesn't mean you must never sleep. It just means that spiritually you stay awake. The last thing I do before I go to sleep every night is ask God to forgive me for everything in the day. The things I've done, the things I haven't done, the things I know about, the things I don't know about, I make sure I go to sleep, I'm, I'm awake. Because <laughs> there's lots that's gone on in that day. Matthew 24, 27, as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. I'll never forget as a young child always thinking, man, I know Jesus is coming back. And just before he does, I'm going to repent. <laughs> just before, when I hear the trumpet sounding, I'm going to ask him to forgive me of everything so I can live like I want to and then I'll be okay. No, you won't. As lightning flashes from the east and west, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. There is no time to change your mind. John 6, 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. 
Colossians 3, 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Verse 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. So this story about Elijah for me being taken away in the whirlwind is a type of second coming. Elijah knew he would be taken. Elisha knew his master would go. The company of prophets knew that he would be taken. Just like today, we know he's coming. Jesus said soon. Will we be so distracted by the horses and the chariots of fire, the health and the wealth and the prosperity, the power, the glamour, the titles and the positions? Will these things overshadow the actual catching away for us? Because our eyes are so firmly fixed on whiz-bangs that we miss the maker of all things. Elisha kept his eyes fixed on his master and we should too. You see, he's only coming for those who are waiting for him. When the trumpet sounds, it's too late. Jesus tells the story about the ten virgins. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins that took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. The foolish one took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. and They all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. All the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth. I don't know you. And Jesus concludes the story by saying, therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. So I have one question to ask you before we close. Are you ready and are you waiting him. And if he comes today, if he comes tomorrow, if he comes in 500 years time, are you ready and are you waiting for him?